Welcome to Theater in 360, the podcast of the Colonial Players of Annapolis. I'm your host, Jim Ryder. On this episode of Theater in 360, Robin Schwartz, the director of Crimes of the Heart, opening January 6th and closing on January 28th at Colonial Players. And we are here with Robin Schwartz, the director of Crimes of the Heart, which opens January 6th and will close on January 28th. Crimes of the Heart, if you don't know, by Beth Henley, won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 1981, was nominated for Best Play and the Tony Award, uh, got Academy Award nomination for the movie version. CP did it back in 1986. I was about three. And um, we have Robin Schwartz to tell us all about it. So welcome to the Theater in 360 podcast. Thanks. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background at CP, and then I want to go into a little bit of background of before CP or outside CP, and then we'll jump into the crimes of the heart. Okay, great. Um, I am still pretty new. I feel new still at Colonial Players. Um, I think I did my first play here mm, about nine years ago. I directed in the One Act Play Festival. And um, I was so excited, and they were also welcoming. And then soon after, we had our first son, and so I took a long break, and then um, directed one more time in the One Act Festival. Got back into it uh, a couple years later, and then um, was happy that I could get the ball rolling on the theater stuff again. And then I had my second son and took another break. <laughs> so that um, fast forward to about five years ago is really when um, I got more involved here. I um, did my first main stage production for the Babylon line. Um, and ever since then, I've been, you know, having fun auditioning and acting on stage and um, recently started directing here. What was your background prior to CP, because you have a fairly extensive, not just acting and directing, but teaching and mm -hmm. things like that. So tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. I um, have my undergrad, my bachelor's degree in theater and communications. Um, I went to Goucher College in Baltimore. And after I graduated, I became a theater educator at the Drama Learning Center in Columbia and um, eventually became their facilities and production manager full time. So I was teaching there preschool all the way up through high school productions. And um, we would also, in the evening, there was a, a professional theater troupe called Red Branch Theater Company, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, we could have a separate season from what the children were learning and do plays of our own. Um, so I was also involved with them. And... Um, we moved. That's why I stopped working at that job and um, then became a stay-at-home mom. So that's kind of how how that progression went for me. So stay-at-home mom, you probably have less time than those people who have jobs and come to do theater, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So you, you've come to CP and you've directed several other shows, uh, including the mm -hmm. One X. How did you find 
directing in the round versus all your experience elsewhere? Yeah, I um, I had some experience directing in the round back from when I was in college. Um, but when I was directing at Drum Learning Center and Red Branch Theater Company, that was all proscenium, where people think of a more traditional, mm -hmm. you know, the audience on one side and then the actors on the other. Um, acting and directing in the round, I think, is such an interesting challenge because it feels more immersive for the actors and for the audience. Mm -hmm. It's a more natural way of engaging the audience because there's no single wall that you're that you're um, communicating through. The action is happening all around. So it it feels like more like a slice of life, I think, mm -hmm. than than the typical proscenium setup. I can say there's no fourth wall, there's no third wall, there's no second wall, there's no first <laughs> wall. There's just you and the audience. Exactly, um, yeah. So Crimes of the Heart, um, tell us what happened, how that got to be chosen after 35 years mm. of a break from Colonial. Um, there was another show that you were involved with, and then you mm. had to toss it and tell us how that went. That's right, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, I mean, saying the name of the show, not... We're fine. <laughs> There's only friends who are listening. Oh, okay. Fair, fair. Um, yes, through the, the director selection process, I was selected to direct um, Tiny Beautiful Things by Nia Vardalos, um, was originally part of the season, and was so excited. It's a beautiful show, um, and still will be if in the future, you know, mm. we're, we're able to put that in the season in the future. But um, there were rights issues with it. Another theater in the area had already added it to their season and we were not able to move forward with it. So then um, it became a question of, was I going to move forward and do another play in that same time slot this year or how was that all going to happen? And um, I was happy to move forward and pick another play. And we had to go through kind of a mini play selection process. I think that we were looking for a show that had some name recognition um, that the um, audience would say, oh, yeah, I either remember that play, I remember that movie. Um, we also wanted to make sure it had great roles for women because uh, the plays surrounding it in the year-long slate had a lot of great male roles mm -hmm. so we wanted to make sure that it had great women's roles and also in this like middle of the winter time slot we wanted to make sure that it was a play that had a nice uplifting feel to it we didn't want a downer in the middle of winter <laughs> because mm -hmm. nobody nobody including myself wants to really be embroiled in a deep depressing drama um, in the gray of January. So so how'd you come to pick Climbs of the Heart? Which, speaking of uplifting, has all kinds <laughs> of uplifting <laughs> plot points and, you know, murders and... But tell it us sure how you does. picked it and, you know, because it's, yeah. it's very popular and it's, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. interesting that it hasn't been done around here in a while because it is a good piece. Go I ahead. agree. I yeah. agree. I, I had not heard of it when um, it came across on my pile of plays that I was reading. And um, 
I was surprised to hear that it hadn't been done in the area in a while because when I read it, I I immediately thought to myself that this is something that a lot of people can relate to right now. Not in that, um, you know, the fact that it is it involves, um, you know, somebody shooting somebody else and it multiple suicide attempts happen yeah. throughout the course of the play, um, but more that. It really appealed to me that it's honest about how complicated the human experience is and that we have all right now gone through this terrible period of time together um, and are trying to come out on the other side. And what does that look like? You know, like how how do you get past these huge obstacles in your life and come out on the other side and the message that they give in the play is you do that with the people around you in the play it's the sisters that lift each other up out of this terrible situation that they find themselves in so i i do feel like it's an uplifting play even though we it deals a lot with it addresses mental illness in families it addresses abuse it addresses um, suicide and without addressing those things, it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel honest mm -hmm. about the experience of these women and in turn the experience of those in the audience. And one of the one of the reasons it won all those awards mm -hmm. in the early 80s is that it did address those issues mm -hmm. which, Prior to that, wasn't really a popular a popular subject, especially for plays. Mm -hmm. um, in all art, really good stuff is always relevant, mm -hmm. always resonates with an audience, and that's what I, you know, you've kind of described. It's this is the kind of thing that does that. Everybody, it's it's almost a, mm -hmm. a survival, a victory type thing. Mm -hmm. uh, tell tell us a little bit about the plot. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, and then uh, let's get into your your cast and who's playing whom and how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the play is set in the year 1974 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, and it's the story of three sisters, the McGraths. Um, there's the oldest sister, Lenny, middle sister, Meg, youngest sister, Babe. And these sisters have become, um, you know, they come out of a very troubled childhood and kind of go their separate ways. And we find them coming back together after about, I've, I believe it's about six years that they've been, you know, separated, but they're all coming back together because the youngest sister, Babe, has just shot her abusive husband. Um, and so those are the circumstances we find them in at the top of the show. And, um, it's about the exploration of how do these sisters move on from here? We learn about each of their backgrounds and things that have happened to them. And it, um, it is a victory story about even though at the end you're not sure what's going to happen to them without giving too much away, um, you do feel like they will get past it together. So um, it is a great show to 
kind of give you hope. It gives you hope in the end that um, that you're going to be able to move past the things that are um, bringing you down. It's a good uh, beginning of the new year show. It is. I say <laughs> we joke that it's a little bit of sunshine. That's what mm. we, we say in rehearsal. We're like, it's just a shot of sunshine in a gray day because it it's funny thinking about, you know, we spend a lot of time in rehearsals talking about the um, the issues that are addressed in the play. And we're like, how do we still leave rehearsal with a smile on our face mm -hmm. after, you know, talking about suicide awareness and everything, you know, but um, it's because we can talk about it and feel like, you know, that they're seen and that there's hope in the end. And so despite all the talk about suicide and shooting, it, it's actually, let's make, be mm -hmm. clear, there's a lot of humor in the show. Oh, sure. So, well, you know, see, that's, that's part of that slice of life, right? Right. <laughs> it's right. Like, there's a lot yeah. of darkness, but there's yeah. always light to balance it. It, um, yeah, absolutely. There's a not, uh, there's so much love between the sisters mm -hmm. and, um, it is, it's definitely, it, it's funny. The funny balances the, the seriousness. The characters, babe, and they, they kind of took on a life of their own when this was introduced and especially when mm -hmm. it became a movie, um, because those characters felt real to people. Tell me about your cast. Who's playing them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lenny uh, McGrath is played by Emily Roberge. Um, Meg, is, the middle sister, is played by Kat Benny. The youngest sister, Babe, is played by Megan Henderson. And there is a cousin who lives across the street, and that role is split between Ellen Kay and Shannon Benil. Um Doc is Meg's old boyfriend. He's played by Dylan Roche. And... Barnett Lloyd is Babe's lawyer, um, which she needs a lawyer very mm -hmm. desperately after shooting her husband. Um, and he's played by Kyle Hartford. And how are things going as you approach the opening? I mean, incredible. I, everyone on this production is a rock star. I mean, they have made the process so enjoyable and so rewarding. Um, it was so important to me in this process. The number one thing I wanted was a like a positive, open working environment, something that would make everyone who worked on this project feel accomplished and, and proud to have been a part of it. And it, they made it so easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they made it so easy and so fun. It's almost uh, a silver lining, I guess, when you when you look at the other play that could have been done and now you've got this play and you've got a nice cast mm -hmm. and you're moving along telling a very interesting story not everybody knows the show but mm -hmm. many people have at least heard of the movie or seen the movie the show's been done a lot but it was as we mentioned earlier not a lot recently mm -hmm. so it it's i think it's going to be nice kind of like for a new audience to to see the thing and not not just the typical audience that may remember something from 40 years ago you know it's going to be new to a lot of people mm -hmm. um one of the things that uh, we all know that cp has introduced after covid is the alternate mm. uh, so many shows had to knock off a weekend because somebody got sick or you know closed down early or things like that 
artistically, it was a shame for the volunteers to do all that work and then have to see, you know, not complete uh, a run. Um, certainly financially, it didn't help the theater at all. And um, for the audiences, you know, people have tickets, they want to come and see a show and they'll forgive somebody holding book if they at least can keep the, the pace flowing and, and the story moving. Uh, tell us about how you're, who that is for you and, and how you're working with that, because it's a relatively new thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks to COVID, there's a lot of relatively new things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're we're adapting, mm-hmm. <laughs> evolving, right? Um, yes. Yeah, so in our play, we have, uh, like I said, the role of Chick, who plays who's the cousin, um, is split into two, and that they're played by Ellen Kay and um, Shannon Benial. So each one of them um, will alternate which evenings they perform the role of chick on any night that they are not performing the role of chick they are our standby actress so each of these girls um shannon benial is our standby for lenny and ellen is the standby for meg and babe um and of course they're on standby for each other as well so um it's worked out fantastic so far because even during the rehearsal process if somebody got sick was not able to come in we could always count on having our standbys to help move the process along um there was some question in the beginning about how it was going to work having two actresses playing the same role um are they just playing the same chick and they're learning each other's you know um character development and stuff like things, you know, things like that. Um, But they've each created a unique and very different chick, which has been really fun to see as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And they work so well together and they're very supportive of each other and the, the different roles that they're playing. Um, I had, worried in the beginning how it was going to work out and it really has worked out beautifully and that is a hundred percent because of the work that those two actresses are doing and we also have one standby actor for the male roles and um that would be my husband so <laughs> that's how we dealt with with Did that he end actually of it. volunteer I mean, <laughs> as much as he volunteers for it's, anything, I say, "Oh, could you please?" <laughs> it's it's a it's not a thankless job, but it's a job <laughs> done by the type of person who is willing to put in that much work, mm-hmm. and and they still have to know the lines. They can't just come in cold. Exactly. They have to know the play. They have to know the lines. They have to do the work, knowing that they'll probably never get up there. Yeah, absolutely, and they they're the workhorses, mm-hmm. right? They they are the rock star, amazing, like I can't stress enough how what amazing work they're doing um for the play as a whole, but also just I, I watch them when they do step in and they're doing such a fantastic job. It's just they're we're very lucky to have them on the team. Yeah. We had uh, George on was our uh, for art and uh, when we leave rehearsal, he would say, don't drive careful. <laughs> he, he was the alternate for all three of us. Thanks, George. So we would say, he just don't move. <laughs> but, and, and, and when we did, you know, like you say, when it was a rehearsal yeah. and 
and had to step in. I'm not sure he ever looked at his book. I said, oh, my gosh, we should all just let him do all three roles and we'll take a break, you know, when we're hurt, one, one, one performance. Yeah, it's awesome. But it, it's good that it's working that way because it's going to be like this for a long time, I think. That's that's probably a permanent change, you know. I yeah. don't know. Because there's other reasons that plays have shut down long before COVID, you know, and the volunteers, the actors, it, they were out a performance or a weekend or mm-hmm. the audience had to, you know, but the poor ticket office you know, who bears the brunt of all that. So maybe it'll work out to be a a permanent thing. Who knows? Um, We talked about in the round, give me a little bit about the, um, the story. And we talked about the intimacy of the round, the intimacy of the story itself. I want to kind of juxtapose those two, you know, uh, how, how you're really kind of blocking it, staging Mm it. Um, Knowing that, you know, in some plays, the audience being that close, they might, you know, some of the sh- back shrink back a little bit because mm-hmm. of the subject matter and things like this. And again, this is a very funny play. Yeah. And it's a very touching, meaningful play. It's not just, you know, just the the uh, the sad pieces that <laughs> they have to overcome. Yeah. But there's, there's something about these kinds of plays that really work into that intimacy of that space. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's perfect for the space in that way. Um, I was just um, sitting in on um, a full run the other night and watching them and realizing just how much the audience is going to get sucked into the story because they are so close. Uh, The entire theater space is the McGrath's kitchen Mm -hmm. in their home. So when the audience comes in, they'll see it's just, you know, you're walking into the kitchen. You're just kind of, you know, sitting on a chair in their kitchen and watching this all unfold. And so the fact that we can have it in the round, I think, just adds to that feeling of that you are there experiencing this in real time with them. Um, and the actresses have done such a wonderful job of kind of bringing the audience in to the story they're so engaging and they're i shouldn't say actresses because it's all of the actors in Mm -hmm. the play they're doing such a wonderful job at um making the audience feel like they are there in the room with them and uh, you said it's 74 Mm -hmm. so i can imagine the clothes because I used to wear them. Oh, they're because wonderful. Because that's when I graduated high school. Yeah. And I just tell who's doing your costumes and tell us what you're doing with that because that's a that was a unique time and hopefully it's over at least for the bell bottoms. Oh my god, no, they're back. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, they're back. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> my narrow jacket I still have, but yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got one of those in the show. Okay. Yeah. Um. Our costumer is Linda Ridge, who just did costumes for The Lost Boy Mm -hmm. um, at CP. So that was the last time she was here. And um, she's being mentored by Carrie Brady. And the, uh, yeah, the costumes are incredible. Um, They are beautiful. I mean, they're doing such a wonderful job of giving um, like instant personality Mm -hmm. to those characters 
because you have Lenny, the oldest sister, who's an extreme homebody, and um, then Meg, the middle sister, who's a lounge singer who moved out to L.A. And so if you think of it in the terms of like, what would they wear in 74, the, the costume, the range of costumes is enormous and uh, just so fun. So fun. This is specifically in a place in the South or is it just South? Um, Mississippi. Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Okay. That would have an effect on some of the clothes as well, I would think. Yeah. As we think about closing this out, um, tell me what you're looking to do with the show as far as the audience feeling something, thinking something, walking away up East Street back to their car. Mm -hmm what they're talking about when they walk out of this show. I would like the audience to feel seen. I would like for them to feel that the themes of this play are truthful and honest and things that um, we talk about more openly now, of course, than we did back in mm -hmm. 76, I think, when the play came out, um, 78 maybe. And, um, but that looking at it and looking at those themes in the face and being able to turn it around with such a, an uplifting message and to be able to say that we can triumph over these things. We can live with them in our life and recognize them and identify them, but also move on in a positive way, that that's a message that I want the audience to take home with them. Well, Robin, thanks for being with us. Break a leg for the whole run of the show. January 6th through January 28th, Crimes of the Heart at CP. Robin Schwartz, thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Theater in 360, the podcast of the Colonial Players of Annapolis, hosted by Jim Ryder, produced by Richard Atha Nichols, with music by Rob Levitt. Find out more at thecolonialplayers.org. And feel free to email us at podcast at thecolonialplayers.org. Thank you.